Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out the Word of God and turn in it in the New Testament to the book of Acts and chapter number 8. I know some of you have printed versions. Some of you have electronic versions. That's great. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible in the back part, turn to page 98, and you would find yourself located at Acts chapter 8. You know, God has given to every one of us who are followers of Jesus a very clear calling. It's a calling that comes from the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he says to all of us who follow him and know him, you shall be my witnesses. And that's just a core calling of a follower of Jesus to be his witness. Paul gives us a little different language in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 where he says there that we are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents Christ to other people. And that is the core calling that we have been given. And God has given to us the Holy Spirit to energize us and to empower us as his witnesses. And yet something very interesting happens inside of our thinking. When it comes to maybe sharing our faith, when it comes to speaking out as a witness, when it comes to that E word, you know, the evangelism word. So often when we think about sharing our faith and and speaking out, the truth is that we on the interior get a little nervous about that. Maybe we even break into a little bit of a sweat. How am I going to do that? And at times, if we're transparent, and we have no reason not to be just transparent, I mean, I know what goes on in my own life. At times, when it even comes to being a witness, we, we get a little indifferent to that. Um, we get distracted by everyday life. Yesterday, I was helping somebody move from 9 something in the morning till 7 p.m. I tell you, when you're involved in that kind of a process, you just are totally distracted by life. Sometimes, if we're transparent, we lack some confidence, that we're a little unsure when it comes to being a witness. Like, how, how do I start into a conversation? What do, I, what do I say? And a lot of times what happens is we emotionally seize up a little bit. Sometimes, again, I, I know what goes on in my own life. We're going to be transparent. Sometimes we just lack faith that God is at work God is preparing hearts to hear our testimony. Just think about how you entered into last week. You know, did you enter into last week with a a sense of confidence that God is preparing hearts to hear your testimony? Well, if you can identify with any of that stuff, I just want you to know that encouragement is coming our way today. As we look in the book of Acts and we see God at work, in Philip's life as a witness. We are involved in the second of really what will be three segments of study of the book of Acts. We've entitled it Seeds. Now, the flow of Acts is plant, scatter, and grow, and we're more in that center section of scattering. And the title I've given to the message today is How to Be an Effective Witness. 
And we're going to see this in chapter 8. I want to read from chapter 8, verse 25, and invite you to follow along in your Bible as I'm reading. Verse 25, so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, our plan for today is really very simple. It involves two things that we're going to do. Number one, we're going to go back and look a little more closely at the outreach story of Philip. And we're going to see Philip as a model for us. And after we've just looked at that story a little more carefully, we're going to take a little time and we're going to make four key observations from Philip's life that can help us to become an effective witness. So that's the plan. So let's just backtrack and look a little more carefully at this story that we read through rather quickly. Look again in verse 25. It says, so they solemnly testified and spoke the word of the Lord, and they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Who are the they here? Well, most likely it refers to Peter and John, remember how they had come down from Jerusalem, and also to Philip. Those three were doing this, and they were sharing the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now, that tells us a lot. Remember last week how we talked about the tremendous rift between the Jews and the Samaritans and how significant it was that the Samaritans were being added to the body of Christ, this new thing that God was developing called the church. And now we see them having witnessed that 
initially, they're now going to multiple villages and cities of the Samaritans, and they see them trusting Christ, which tells us, especially with Peter and John, that they were now fully embracing this idea that Samaritans, the half-Jews, were also fellow members of this new entity that Jesus was raising up called the church. So while all that's happening, verse 26 says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Now, if you were with us in our study of the book of Acts last fall, you'll remember from chapter 5, we saw the angel of the Lord make an appearance. And what happens is Peter and John are in prison. The angel of the Lord opens up the prison. And then the angel of the Lord says to Peter, you need to go to the temple and speak to the people. And so he does that. So again, we see the angel of the Lord appearing, and he speaks to Philip and tells him to get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, just to give you a little historical background, this particular road, we have a map that shows this, is a road that hugged the Mediterranean coast. That's that little red line you see going down the coast. And uh, it also tells us, just as an aside there, that this was a desert road. And I also have a picture of, of one of the roads in Israel that it's an illustration. It's in that very area. This might have been the kind of road that he was directed to go to, a coastal road, very much a deserted road. Now, here's the way my mind works. I'm thinking about Philip. I'm thinking about the incredible excitement he had. Remember, we had the earlier events in, in chapter 8. We have them going to multiple villages, multiple cities of the Samaritans. Many people are coming to Christ. And then God says, you know what? I want you to go out on this remote area. I, I want you to go out on this, this sort of desert road that leads south. And I can just imagine Philip, if he was like the way I am, I would say, wait a minute now. I don't really want to go out to some desert area over here. I want to, I want to stay in the ministry to, to all these villages and the cities of the Samaritans. I mean, great things are happening. I mean, people are coming to Christ. This is really exciting don't really want to head out to the wilderness someplace on some lonely road. But he is obedient to God's direction. And I think the reason why is he, he believed in his heart that God had a divine appointment for him. And so, verse 27, he gets up and he goes, and, and there was, it says there, an Ethiopian eunuch that he runs across. Now, we just want to unpack that a little bit more. Uh, when he says that there was this Ethiopian there, he is not referring to what is modern Ethiopia in our day. Ancient Ethiopia was the area of the northern Sudan. Uh, and Sudan, you know, is underneath Egypt. That's the area that he was from and the area that he was headed back to. And if you think about, if you see Israel up there on that map on the far right of the Mediterranean Sea, that's quite a distance to come from Israel all the way down to northern Sudan. How long would that trip take? It was about 1,000 miles. I don't know. In that day, it probably took at least six weeks. So that's six weeks up to Jerusalem, six weeks back down to where he lived. He was an Ethiopian and the Greek historian Herodotus tells us that Ethiopians were commonly black people. And it's possible that this guy had some sort of Jewish background. Maybe he was a half-bred person himself. Remember, the, the, 
the total dispersion of the people that happened when the kingdom of Assyria scattered everybody from the 10 tribes and then Babylon scattered out people from the two tribes. And I don't know, there seems to be some kind of a Jewish background for this guy coming from so far away. So we don't really know exactly what was going on with him. But we also know not only that he was an Ethiopian, but we know that he was a eunuch. What's a eunuch? Well, a eunuch is a male who has been castrated. Part of his male anatomy had been cut off. And normally they did that at a very young age. You were sort of destined to be a eunuch. And often what they would do if you were a eunuch as you grew up is you would start out your service in the court of the queen or maybe even guarding the harem of the king because you weren't a sexual threat to anybody. But what was common with these eunuchs is they would start off in that arena, sort of a non-threatening sexual arena, but as they showed themselves to be responsible people, they would often rise to very prominent positions in the kingdom. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. By the way, that limited his ability with the temple. Deuteronomy 23.1 says that an eunuch a eunuch could not enter the temple grounds. They were not allowed on the grounds of the temple. They could only be what was called a proselyte of the gate. They could get to the gate of the temple, but they, they couldn't get in. So we have this Ethiopian eunuch, it says, and he is a court official, it says, of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now, just again, a little background here. Uh, that word Candace is not a name. It's a title. It's very much like the title Pharaoh. It wasn't her name, that was her title. And she was queen of the Ethiopians. You know, in their culture in Ethiopia, ancient Ethiopia, they considered the king to be too sacred to function on an everyday level. And so what they would choose to do with the king is have him, you know, do the sacred things, but then the queen mother, his mother, would rule the everyday rule instead in the kingdom. So this is an individual who was working with the queen mother. He was a court official. And then it tells us specifically what he did. He was in charge of all her treasure. Now, that's pretty significant stuff. He was the secretary of the treasury of Ethiopia, which means he would be second only to the queen in the everyday functioning of the kingdom. That tells us that this individual was a very wealthy individual, a very affluent individual, a very educated individual, and a very powerful individual in his culture. And it says there at the end of verse 27 that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Sort of an odd thing when you think about the fact that he couldn't even go in the temple grounds. You know, he was a, he was a seeker. In some way, he was very intrigued. What would have intrigued him? I don't really know. You know, being a eunuch who was restricted in many ways in his life, he might have become aware of another chapter in the book of Isaiah, which is chapter 56. You wonder if this is why he bought the scroll. I don't know. But in Isaiah 56, 4 and 5, it says this. This is really fascinating. It says, thus says the Lord to the eunuchs. Thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To those eunuchs who feel like they're cut off from so much in life, I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial 
I will give a name better than that of sons and daughters, which they could never have. I will give them an everlasting name, which will never be cut off. I don't know, but that might have been the kind of stuff that would attract a eunuch to want to know more. So he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And in verse 28, he was returning, and he was returning, obviously, to Ethiopia, and he was sitting in his chariot. You think, well, wait wait a minute, what's he traveling in a chariot for? Well, there were different kinds of chariots in those days. There was obviously a war-type chariot. There was also a traveling-type chariot, would be one that would be led by an ox. And no doubt this was guy was so important, he had a small entourage with him and, and no doubt had a driver. It was sort of like the limo of the day. And he is sitting there and he is reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, we need to stop here for a moment and just understand how rare this was. It was extremely unusual in that day for anyone, anyone to have their own scroll of an Old Testament book. It was outrageous outrageously expensive to buy a scroll like that. This guy had his own scroll. And he's there reading from the book of Isaiah. At verse 29, the Spirit says to Philip, go up and join this chariot. You know, you almost get the idea that there was a little caravan going by. You know, Philip's waiting there. What does God want me to do? Oh, and then the Lord says, go visit this chariot. And obviously, when you talk about being an effective witness, we see Philip is very tuned in to the leading of the Holy Spirit here. He's really listening for the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so he runs up to this chariot, and he hears this guy reading Isaiah the prophet. He's reading out loud. And Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? Do you notice how he begins with a question? That's a a very important tool if we're going to be an effective witness to learn how to use questions. See, see, when you begin with a question, several things happen. You have an opportunity to gauge where somebody is. And you have an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you based on what their response may be. It's important to learn to use questions. See, if you approach someone and you ask a question like this, have you ever thought about spiritual things and then you listen to them? You're going to have an opportunity to gauge where they are. And you have an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Where should this conversation go? Or if you were to come up to someone and say to them, have you ever thought about life after death? And then you listen, you have a great opportunity to gauge where someone is at and then to allow the Holy Spirit to lead. Well, verse 31, the Ethiopian eunuch says, well, how how could I understand it unless someone guides me? And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. We have a little picture here of sort of a portrait of what the scene may have looked like, where you had the driver there driving the chariot, and then you have him back there reading his scroll and And he has Philip get up and sit beside him. And then it says in verse 32, you know, that he was reading a particular passage of Scripture. We have some verses quoted here. He was actually reading from, these verses are from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. And that is a description in those two verses of an innocent 
righteous sufferer. You remember the book of Isaiah, right? You remember the, the verses that come before 7 and 8? Here's what it says in Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 6. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was reading those verses he gets down to seven and eight, describing an innocent, righteous sufferer. And so he says to Philip in verse 34, tell me, of whom, of whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? So then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture in Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to him. Now, there's an important principle here about being an effective witness. And that is, did you notice this? That Philip was sufficiently acquainted with the scripture to effectively present the truth about Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was basically being brought up, and Philip sufficiently was acquainted with the Scripture to effectively present the truth about Jesus Christ. That tells me that if I want to be an effective witness, I need to be sufficiently acquainted with Scripture to effectively present the truth about Jesus Christ. Now, specifically what all he said and we know that he started in Isaiah 53 and he went to other places. The details are left out. Even the exact conversation interchange they had, I don't know, they probably talked back and forth for a while. But no doubt he included in his message about Jesus the necessity to believe and trust in Christ and then the importance of stepping up and being water baptized uh, as a testimony to one's faith in Christ. So with all that, we don't know what all that conversation was, but they went along the road and they came to some water, it says there. Now, now remember, this is a desert road. You think, well, how, how was there any water there? Well, there were stream beds in that area that at the wetter months of the year would be filled with some water. And so they came to some water and he said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And by the way, I don't know what your Bible is like, but in, in my Bible, when you come to verse 37, there's some brackets around that. And the reason why that is, is that the majority of the manuscripts we have in the New Testament do not include verse 37. Now, there, there's nothing unorthodox about verse 37 in terms of its content, but it appears obvious that somewhere along the line, someone decided to fill in some blanks for us 
So they added verse 37. So that's why it's in brackets in my Bible. It, doesn't, it probably wasn't part of the original at all. So the eunuch orders the chariot to stop, and they, they both go down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. Now, early church tradition tells us that the Ethiopian eunuch became the first missionary to Africa. And just an interesting sociological observation to make here, it's interesting to me that apparently the gospel came to the black culture and went into Africa well before it ever came to Europe and the white culture. But remember, the title of our message today is How to Be an Effective Witness. And so we've looked a little more deeply at what was going on. Now we want to make four key observations that are going to be helpful to us. Here's the first one. Philip was open to being God's witness. He was open to being God's witness. Isn't it so easy to get distracted by life? And when we look at Philip, we see someone who had a conscious awareness of God's calling in his life. See, we know this sort of up here in our head. It's just that it's not always in the forefront of our perspective. He had an awareness of God's calling, and that calling was to be a witness. He had a conviction that God sets divine appointments. He had a willingness to follow divine prompting when it came to being a witness for Jesus. And so thus, we have the same need. We need to have an awareness of God's calling. Again, think about the way you entered your last week. Was it in the forefront of perspective? God has called me to be a witness. We need to have a conviction that God sets divine appointments. Was that in the forefront of our thinking as we entered into our last week? I wonder if God has a divine appointment for me this week. We need to have a willingness to follow divine prompting. But see, if we're just so focused on everything else, we're not really listening for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. How can we be an effective witness? Number one, Philip was open to being God's witness. We need to be open to being his witness. Number two, God prepared the Ethiopian eunuch. God prepared the Ethiopian eunuch. God is busy drawing men and women and young people to himself. This is true every week of every month. But we've got to be having that as our perspective. You know, I will often pray for people and I will pray for certain individuals who have crossed my life path and I will, if I know they don't know Jesus, I'm praying that God would convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment, that God would be preparing their heart to respond to the message. And the truth is, God is preparing people in your world, at your school, at your work, in your neighborhood, in your social circles. But here's what happens. And again, I say this because I know what I'm like. 
Too frequently, we functionally forget that. We functionally forget that God is preparing people. God is working in their hearts and in their lives. And when we just remember that, we have a different set of eyes. And remember, it's not our job to convince anybody. It's our job ultimately to be alert and aware and to share the good news. Third observation I want to make is that Philip began with a question. Philip began with a question. And again, what's the value of questions? Well, when you ask a question, it gives us an ability to gauge where people are. And it it gives us the ability to have the Holy Spirit lead us. Where do we go with this conversation based on what they said? And, And again, we're being transparent today. Too often, we're just unsure of how do I start? I know this person needs to, but how do I get started? How do I get started? A number of years ago, I put together this little handout called Discussion Doorknobs. It's ways to open up a door for a conversation. And I subtitled it, Questions Are Your Friends. And even when it comes to being an effective witness, we need to bring our friends to the fray. And our friends are questions that we can ask. And in this handout, uh, it, it it starts with some questions to initiate a relationship when you're first getting to know somebody. And then it has some questions to gauge where someone is spiritually. Questions like, do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? You ask that question and then you listen. Where are you on your spiritual journey? You ask that question and you listen. What do you think happens after a person dies? Have you ever asked anybody that question? Do you think there is a heaven or hell? You listen. To you, who is Jesus? And you listen and sort of gauge how the Spirit of God might want the conversation to go. And then it also includes some conversations or some questions to turn the conversation specifically to Christ. Now, we're going to have some of these available. If you'd like to pick one up, they're going to be on the little stools and these corners and on the table out there and even out on the gathering hall table if you'd like to pick one up. We're also going to make this available on the city and our website in the form of a PDF. But Philip began with a question. It's a great way to start. Fourth observation I have is that Philip was adequately prepared to share the gospel. Ask yourself the question. Don't respond. Don't raise your hand. But am I adequately prepared to share the gospel? And when you ask yourself that question, maybe you would say, not really, And maybe you're thinking, you know what, but I'd like to. I'd like to. Well, if that represents you, we have something very special for you this summer. It is a Bible Institute course that's going to be held. It's going to begin on June the 3rd. It's going to go from 6.30 to 8 p.m., eight sessions, entitled, How to Share Your Faith with Confidence. What a great thing. It's going to be taught by Brian Hayes and Mark Bergen. I can't think of two better people to teach it. And so if you would like to know that you're adequately prepared to share the gospel, I would encourage you to take advantage of that. What a great, great opportunity. Now, some of you say, well, I'd, I'd like, I don't want to wait till this summer. I'd like to be able to be more adequately prepared right now. I mean, I, something may happen this week. And so I want to just share with you Another really straightforward way that you can be adequately prepared 
to present and share the gospel with someone, and it's called the Roman Road. Maybe you've heard about this. Some of you are already aware of it. But it's just some passages from the book of Romans, and I want to give them all to you. They're on the screen there. But this will walk you through a way to be adequately prepared to share the gospel. It begins with Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then you have Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then you have Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. God demonstrates his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then on the Roman road, you have Romans 10 verses 9 to 11. We confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Savior and Lord. We shall be saved for with the heart we believe resulting in righteousness. It goes on to say whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Boy, that is one of the understatements of all time. So all of these things become important principles so that I can understand how to be an effective witness. Now, I'm very practically minded, so here's the way my mind works. Okay, all that's helpful to me, but how do I start? How do I get off of ground zero? What can I do starting today or starting on Monday? And what I would suggest that we do is that we begin to practice the triple open prayer. And you go, a triple open prayer? I mean, what, that sounds like some kind of a football play or something. Uh, the triple open prayer, it's a great way to put some of these principles into action right now. So what's the triple open prayer? Well, number one, we pray that God would open the door. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul prayed, pray that God may open up to us a door that we may speak the mystery of Christ. So the first thing we do, and you can start this immediately in the triple open prayer, is pray for God to open the door. Now, we need to understand what openings look like. You know, you know openings can be just the issue that someone is having in their life. You know, you might have someone that you work with, someone that you're near, and they're worried about their job, they're worried about their child, they're worried about their future. It's an open door. You know, it's easy for us to speak up and say, you know what, those things are difficult, but I have a friend who is always there for me. Or we can share a little story. Jesus has been an anchor in my life when I have gone through, and you know, you fill in the blank. It's an open door. And, and you know, things that are going on in the news constitute the potential to be an open door. You know, the Lord Jesus used the news of the day. I don't know what channel he was watching, but he heard the report that Luke 13, that 18 people died when the power of Siloam fell on them. He used that as an opportunity to talk about issues of salvation. How many people have heard about the earthquake in Nepal? You know what that is? That's an incredible open door. You can talk about the earthquake in Nepal, and then you can say, you know what? Death can come quickly on any single one of us. We don't have to be in Nepal and have an earthquake. Or, or we can say, you know what? All of us, every single one of us, uh, have a need to be ready to meet God, and a number of those people went to meet God. 
Are you ready to meet God? See, we do the triple open prayer. We pray that God would open the door. Secondly, in the triple open prayer, pray that God would open their heart. That God would open their heart. Acts 16.4, the Lord opened Lydia's heart. Men and women, the Lord had opened the Ethiopian eunuch's heart. He was at work on the interior. You just took a snapshot of him. You may not know it, but God was working. So the triple open prayer, pray that God would open the door, pray that God would open their heart. Number three, this is an important one, pray that God would open my mouth. That's exactly what happens in verse 35. Philip opened his mouth. Because you see, we have this tendency to hesitate, be a little bit nervous about this. Even Paul was like that. In Ephesians 6.20, he says, pray that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is the Apostle Paul. Colossians 4.4, pray that I may proclaim the message clearly as I should. He needs that prayer. I need that prayer. And God is ready and waiting, men and women, to give us the courage. You know that, right? He is ready and waiting to give us the courage, the triple open prayer. Pray that God would open the door. Pray that God would open their heart and pray that God would open my mouth. You know, Warren Wearsby tells the story. It was October 1857. And J. Hudson Taylor was ministering in Ningpo, China. And he led a man, a, a Mr. Ni, spelled N-Y-I, to Christ. And he was, of course, overjoyed, and he wanted to share his faith with others. And then he turned to Hudson Taylor, and he asked this question. He said, how long have you had the good tidings in England? And Hudson Taylor acknowledged that England had known the gospel for many centuries. And Mr. Nee said to him, well, you know, my father died seeking the truth. Why didn't you come sooner? And you know, Taylor had no answer to that penetrating question. Here's a question for all of us. How long have you known the gospel? And how far have you shared it personally? Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you again for the word of God. I just love this book. It is so practical, it's so real, it helps us so much with our everyday life, and it helps us to fulfill what you've called us to be, and that is you said to each one of us, you shall be my witness. Father, we would pray that what we've been over today will freshly challenge us, freshly reorient our thinking and our actions and our perspective, and we would pray that you would use us. Lord, we need you in this process. This is not something that we put on our back and we carry in our own weight. You are the one who guides our heart in all of this process that we've talked about today. And you are the one who is our righteousness. And Lord, we need you in the process. We thank you that you're there. 
to empower us and to energize us to be all that you've called us to be. We thank you in Jesus' name. 